The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. Turn us on and the satisfaction's guaranteed. Frank discussion with passion on CJD 800. Coming up on the program, we have Dr. Uh, Angela Lee, who will join us for the Vagina Dialogues. So if you have questions about female sexual health and you want a gynecologist obstetrician to answer those questions, send them along at 514-800. But first... Time to check out our inbox. Your texts are always welcome. Connect with passion at 514-800. Now I'll answer some of your more general and sexual issues. Uh, So I just got a a lovely text here. Mental health is so misunderstood and is everywhere around us. And I, we are so gracious for your voice and constant implication to these issues. Thank you. And keep turning on the 50 pluses. (laughs) Okay. If that's uh, what I'm doing, I'm happy to continue the way I'm going. No, you're absolutely right. And actually this email, which you can email me, uh, if you go to my website, drlaurie.com, you can fill out the contact sheet there and send in your email. Lori, if this lockdown lasts longer than February 8th, I'm going to scream. I am fed up hearing COVID numbers and the rest of the insanity going on in the world. I just wanted to rant and thank you for your show and a little sanity on the airwaves. I, uh, I hear you. I I really, I hear you. I get so down looking at the news and what's going on around and the hatred and the, uh, it's, yeah, sometimes you just have to put it on the shelf and appreciate the little things like a nice walk outside where there's nobody in the fresh air and the fresh snow uh, and, you know, just breathing in. Like sometimes we just have to stop and just take a breath. Another email here. I'm a new listener to your show. And from what I have listened to in the last few weeks, I'm very impressed. Thank you. Your show was suggested to me from a girlfriend in Montreal. This person writes from Halifax, actually. Um, I find your show interesting and informative. And what I really like is live and unscripted. Your show comes on at midnight here, and that is just perfect for me. It pretty much started when she sent me a link to your site and had me listen to the night before Christmas poem, which I really found funny. Who is this poet? Either this poet is talented or has a really twisted mind or maybe a little both. I can tell you it's a little bit of both, (laughs) having known him for a bit now. Uh, Like my Montreal friend, and for ages, we both have a very high sex drive, single, this is from a female by the way, and we do not sleep around, have uh, FWBs, friends with benefits, or anything like that. When the urge hits me, I have my toys and fingers to satisfy me. I'm considered to be very attractive and can pass easily for a mid-20s woman, and I'm twice that age. I get approached by teenagers and young men in their 20s, and I must tell you, most men age 35 and younger have no idea how to talk to a woman. I get them all, guys who dress well, well well-groomed, to guys not so well-dressed, and they all eventually exhibit the same immature habits eventually. About a year ago in the local mall, a young man approached me, average-looking, in jeans and sweatshirt, and said uh, to me, excuse me, but I noticed you and would never forgive myself if I did not work up the courage to meet you. May I please ask you if you if you would like to have a coffee with me, please. I could see how nervous he was and I just could not say no. A true gentleman. We sat and asked me what I would like and he would get it. We talked for a while and I asked him how old he was. Told me 18. I asked him how old his mom is. He told me 41. 
wow, what's her first name? Maybe I know her. And then he says, how would you know my mom? How old do you think I am? He looked for a few seconds and said, 22, 23 at the most. I showed him my gym membership card and I could see him doing the math in his head and said, no way. Yes way. I laughed. After the coffee, I told him he was a gentleman's gentleman and he had a charming, cute personality and any girl would be lucky to have a guy like yourself. He lit up and thanked me and thanked me for taking the time for a coffee with him. We parted ways. I wish more older men had the class this young guy did. I enjoy your show. I enjoy the stupid sex stories and the poems. I've re recommended your show to others here in Halifax. Well, that's very sweet. Thank you very much. Uh, texter writes in, is kissing safe at all now when dating? If you've met a few times and like each other, can the relationship move forward without kissing or sex? So kissing is not safe. It's actually the most dangerous thing, well, the most catchy thing you can do because COVID is um, transmitted through droplets and saliva for sure. So kissing is definitely not safe. Um, so you meet each other, you've seen each other, maybe you go out for a walk, you like each other. I think there, why couldn't the relationship go on without sex or kissing? Develop the intimacy part of the relationship, talking, sharing, uh, having FaceTime conversations. It's just not the way we we're used to doing things. You know, we're used to like, okay, you go out once, uh, twice you, you make out third time you have sex. Like a lot of people that's, there seems to be a pattern, but we're taking things the it's like going in the old fashioned way. Now we're going a little slower into this. And I don't think it's such a bad thing getting to really know somebody before you end up in the bedroom. When you have sex too soon, you, you kind of catapult the relationship into an intimacy that you might not be ready for. Okay. It, it's almost like too, too much, too soon. And then a, a lot of people end up either being a f just freaked out by that, or it's too much vulnerability or, or what have you, or they have sex and then you never hear from the person again. So why not take some time? Why not? I think it's a, uh, it's a good idea. And I don't know how other people feel about this, but taking more time to get to know somebody and using COVID as the backdrop for this, as the kind of excuse why you can't sleep with somebody uh, or kiss them yet. Uh, so that's something I think we can, maybe we can all learn something about that. Passion Poet writes a vagina poem. It's the vagina dialogues. What will they say? What will men learn about where they play? But something is wrong with women as beautiful as they can be. Take a closer look and you too will see. Nature is not all that perfect in all its simplicity. No one builds a playground that close to a sewage facility. <laughs> where did that come from? Um, and that's the twisted part, I suppose, of the passion poet. All right. If you are a woman or you are a guy who loves a woman with female parts and you have questions about female sexual health, tonight's your chance to speak to a medical doctor, a gynecologist and obstetrician, Dr. Angela Lee. She joins me every month to answer your sexual health questions. Tonight, we're going to talk specifically as well uh, about pelvic floor disorder disorders, seeing that roughly a quarter of American women are affected by such disorders. Uh, that's, that's quite a high number. So let's talk about that and see what that is all about after we check traffic with Jill Fitzgerald. 
a safe place to work out the kinks in any relationship. It's Passion with CGAD 800's Dr. Lori Batito. The song always brings a smile to my face. That's how silly it is. Uh, but it is the theme song for this segment that we have once a month called the Vagina Dialogues, where we focus on female sexual health. So all of your questions about female sexual health. And here to answer uh, along with me is Dr. Angela Lee. She is a resident in obstetrics and gynecology at the University of Toronto. Hi, Dr. Lee. Welcome back. Hi, thank you so much for having me back. Always a pleasure. All right, let's start off uh, with a question from a listener here. And questions can be sent to 514-800 if you want to text in. If you want to call in, it's 514-790-0800. I'm 53 and no menopause symptoms yet. Is that uncommon? Just curious. So maybe we could talk about menopause, the when, the how, the how do you know when you're in perimenopause? How do you know when you know, does everybody have all of the symptoms? Let's talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So we know the average age of menopause um, is around the age of 51. Um, That being said, everyone's genetic makeup is different. Um, So, I mean, if your mother and your grandmother had a later age that they went into menopause, odds are that you will as well. Um, So it's certainly not uncommon to be at the age of 53 and not experience any symptoms yet. Um, It very well could be that you either haven't entered menopause yet or um, you just, you know, don't manifest the typical symptoms of hot flashes and mood changes. Mm -hmm. Um, So everyone experiences menopause completely differently. Everyone's experience is individual to them. Um, Menopause, you know, realistically is defined by um, the cessation, so not having any menstrual periods for at least one year. So once you've gone a whole year without having a single menstrual period, that's when you've officially entered menopause. Okay, but not everybody has all of these symptoms. And also the the severity and the length of time they last. Like, I'd like to ask this question as I'm a full-on menopausal woman. I barely sleep at night. I The hot, like the heat, you know, it's cold, it's hot. It's cold, it's hot. It's cold, it's hot. All night long. What can I do for that? And when will this end, Angela? When will this end? Uh, it's so difficult. And honestly, I completely empathize with you because a lot of patients I see have the same issues. Um, you know, it's all about just kind of managing your symptoms. Unfortunately, there's things like lifestyle changes that you can do, you know, strategies like wearing different layers, um, you know, having different blankets on the bed so you can kind of alternate <laughs> depending on yes, how you're feeling. Yes, done, done, done. <laughs> <laughs> Try all the window open. Yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, when those things fail, honestly, that's when it kind of comes time to look at medical options potentially as something that you might benefit from. So, um, things like hormone replacement therapy um, are one of the main stays of treatment uh, that we can rely on to help with these, uh, what we call vasomotor symptoms, which is the technical term for things like hot flashes. Mm -hmm. Um, And even when those don't work, uh, or if you have a reason that you can't have hormone therapy, um, there are other options like psychiatric like. medications, like, um, you know, actually medications called, ser- uh, you know, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, which are actually one of the medications we use to treat depression. Depression. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. yeah. That would, ha- that would help hot flashes? Yeah. Uh, there has been some good evidence to show that in certain women who either 
don't respond well to hormone therapy or uh, can't have hormone therapy for whatever reason can have benefit with uh, certain types of those medications. And how much of a dose? Is it a, the same dose that you would treat depression or a lower dose? Because there's side um, effects know, to that too, right? There's sexual yeah, side effects. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, obviously with any medication that you take, there's going to be side effects. Um, I can't comment on the specific dose just because I'm not personally that familiar with prescribing these medications. Okay. I wouldn't say they're the more common ones we prescribe, but um, they're kind of there as sort of like a third line option for people who fail, you know, more conservative management and hormone therapy. I'll, uh, I'll do some research. That's really good. Okay. Uh, it's interesting because it's really the only real symptom, you know, and I know some women have mood changes and such. I didn't, haven't noticed anything like that, but, um, mm -hmm. but certainly lack of sleep might affect my mood sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, for sure. Absolutely. You know. I'm sure it affects everyone's mood when they don't yeah, sleep properly. Exactly. A person wants to know, is it true vitamin B helps during menopause for mood changes? Have you heard anything about that? Um, to be honest, that's not something I've personally heard before. Um, okay. I mean, I, I don't think it would hurt uh, like many other vitamin supplements, but uh, to be honest, I can't really comment on whether or not there's good evidence for vitamin B having a specific effect on mood with menopause. Right. Another um, supplement that some people I've been hearing about is primrose oil, I guess, or like primrose capsules. Although I take, I'm just going to say I take them, I, that doesn't really do anything. Maybe my symptoms might be worse, but it doesn't yeah, seem to be making I, a change. I'd say that probably falls more into the category of naturopathic treatments um, that I'm not personally as familiar with. Right, um, right. So probably not that I, I can't really provide like a good recommendation or um, opinion right. on it. Right. And I'm not sure how much research there actually is on that kind of thing because, you know, there's, yeah, and there's research and there's research, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's kind of, you know, how it is with a lot of naturopathic treatments some patients will ask me about. Um, you know, the general, the only thing I can really tell them is that I personally don't know a lot about it. Um, there right. isn't great, re uh, sorry, there isn't great evidence in the literature to support its use, um, right. you know, but in theory, it doesn't hurt to try. Right, right, right. I know uh, one natural thing that if uh, women can't take, and I know research has been done on this for a dry vagina is gynotroph. So I know that's something that uh, gynecologists um, sometimes recommend for women who can't have like the internal like vagifam or something like that. Yeah. So. Um, I, I've also, you know, heard of patients using that one as well. Um, that one's more of just kind of like a natural moisturizer that contains some hyaluronic acid. Right. Um, so that one I would say is, is definitely, you know, um, there's no harm in trying it. Uh, right. Some people might get more benefit, uh, others not, but... Hyaluronic acid is a really common ingredient in a lot of other um, cosmetic and skincare products. So, right. um, yeah, it's it's not um, it's it's certainly nothing harmful, and uh, it could potentially have benefit. It's funny, eh? After all, like menopause has been around forever, yet nobody has come up with like a magic pill. <laughs> like, just oh, get rid of I these know, symptoms, you know? <laughs> I know. Well, some oh, things work for some, some things work for others. It's like. We're all waiting for that one thing that, uh, that that's not going to give us, you know, cancer or cause uh, pulmonary embolisms potentially, you know, where we can feel safe in taking them. Because right now, 
I know a lot of women are just not feeling that safe in, in taking hormone replacement. So it's a For conversation sure. to, yeah, go ahead. Exactly. It's certainly not a medical therapy that comes without risks. And, you know, there are a lot of women who, for medical reasons, can't um, have estrogen therapy. So um, in some women, it's contraindicated. And for them, they don't even have that as an option to control, you know, right. things like hot flashes. Right. Uh, I figure, well, I'm going to grin and bear it for some, some more time and see. <laughs> Hopefully it will end. But you know what? I have an aunt who is in her late 80s. She still gets hot flashes. She says from the really? day she started, yeah, she's 30 years more of hot flashes. I'm like, I will wow. shoot myself if that happens. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, I know. It's that like. Is, that is rare. Yeah, it is rare. And uh, I don't wish that on. Uh, on anybody. So I was reading a study that said that roughly a quarter of uh, American women are affected by pelvic floor disorders. That seems so high, so high. Uh, can you talk about pelvic floor disorders that you commonly see in your practice? Yeah, absolutely. So I think pelvic floor disorders kind of encompasses a huge spectrum of different um, pelvic floor issues. So um, some of the most common things I see are uh, more so disorders to do with uh, weakening of the pelvic floor. Mm -hmm. So that's where you get things like pelvic organ prolapse. So that can involve uh, the bladder, the bowel, um, your rectum, and even uh, the uterus in a, a lot of cases. Um, and I think that, you know, these disorders are often underdiagnosed because, you know, a lot of women probably just sort of you know, assume that that's their body and after they have children that these things are normal to happen. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. I think it is something that's very under-recognized and under-treated. Um, right. And then, you know, I think a really common thing that a lot of women, especially women who've had vaginal deliveries, um, is urinary incontinence, specifically stress urinary incontinence. So Which that's is. where you get urine leakage with things like coughing, sneezing, um, anything where you're essentially bearing down. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. Can I ask you about the prolapse and describe what that means exactly? For what sure. does that actually physically look like? So what it physically looks like is sometimes women, uh, the main symptoms that people will come in with is uh, the reports of a feeling of pelvic fullness or pelvic pressure. Um, and sometimes they might notice a bulge coming out of the vagina when they go to do things like have a bowel movement or urinate. Oh. Um, so what's happening is the bladder and the rectum and even potentially the uterus, um, you know, a lot of the pelvic floor muscles are weakening and a lot of uh, the connective tissues and ligaments that support those structures um, when you're younger, they start to kind of lose their collagen, weaken and loosen over time. So that can cause these uh, organs to essentially prolapse, meaning essentially fall into the vagina uh, as you age. So we know there are certain things that increase your risk factors for this, um, things like having vaginal deliveries. Uh, we know your risk increases about twofold with one vaginal delivery and increases about fourfold with two vaginal deliveries. Wow. Um, so certainly the more vaginal deliveries you have, um, the higher risk you are. Uh, things like age as well. It's very uncommon to see this issue in women uh, premenopausally, but it certainly can happen. Um, and other factors like obesity and smoking. So if you feel a bulge coming out, that's a prolapse of something. You better go check it out is really what you're saying. 
most likely. I mean, again, prolapse isn't what I would consider an emergency or something that even necessarily needs to be treated. The key is whether or not it's symptomatic. So if it's something that limits your quality of life or has a negative impact on your ability to, you know, do your everyday functions, then yes, I think it's certainly worth treating. Or sex Um, or or difficulty with sex. Yeah. Yes, of course. Or difficulty with sex. Um, So I think that, you know, those are the instances in which it is something that's important to treat. But, you know, if it doesn't bother you, if it's mild, um, if there's kind of no impact on your functioning, it's not something that uh, necessarily needs to be treated. Right. Uh, I do recommend myself exercises to strengthen those muscles. There's, uh, uh, you know, great pelvic floor exercises you can take. You can learn that from a pelvic floor physiotherapist as well, which I highly, highly recommend when I, uh, I work very closely with pelvic floor physios and they are a godsend, uh, because they can Absolutely. really work directly with, uh, with the client, with the patient. Uh, this, uh, this is our vagina dialogues. We're speaking with Dr. Angela Lee. She she is a resident in obstetrics and gynecology and here to answer your questions. So send them along. Got a whole bunch uh, coming up, though. We have one stupid sex story uh, submitted by one of our, our listeners and then more of your questions on female sexual health with Dr. Angela Lee after this. The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. From the pleasure and the politics to the hangups and the heartbreak. You're listening to Passion, CJD 800. Lots more female sexual health questions coming in for Dr. Angela Lee, our resident in obstetrics and gynecology and uh, our special guest every month here. But first, here's a stupid sex story. Well, just another one of those embarrassing things or what have you. My wife and I always enjoy your show when we listen in. I'm not sure if this would qualify as a stupid sex story, but there were times we were having sex while your show was on. I don't know if I'm supposed to take that as a compliment or what. Sometimes we play a silly game when your show is on. If we hear 69, for example, or whatever the, or whatever, with the exception of anal, that is what we will do. Friday night was a little different. Your show was on, she was on her side playing on her iPad and I was behind rubbing against her and I casually slipped it in her. At that point, you read a poem from the passion poet. What his poem said was exactly what we were doing. My wife cracked up and said, Ray, is that you back there or the passion poet? I replied, would it make you happy if I said the poet? We laughed about the whole thing last night and again this morning. It was just one of those things where the timing could not have been better. We are buying 649s today. She always makes me add in the email that she loves the passion poet. Not this time, but she does, laughing. Uh, Thank you for your submission. That's very, very cute. All right, we have a lot of questions uh, to get into here. Uh, Most of them have to do with uh, menopause. Uh, Here, I have extremely painful periods and already on SSRIs. What about having my uterus removed? I'm on a perimenopause group and many women wish they had had a hysterectomy sooner. I'm 44 years old and seriously contemplating this. And maybe I should just do a little disclosure here. I don't usually talk too much about myself, but when it comes to these things, just my experiences can be shared with others since I am menopausal. But I too had such ex- like periods that would make me pass out actually. And, you know, with through tests discovered there was like a really bad, um, uh, 
fibroid. And the after seeing two different gynecologists, the agreement was, yes, hysterectomy was called for, although they left my ovaries in. Uh, and I was 41. Uh, for me, it changed my life in many, in many ways because every month the fear of my period was more than I could handle. Just the fear of passing out with the pain was just, uh, was just too much. So, um, how often do you see this, uh, Dr. Lee? Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing your story, Dr. Lori. Um, you know, it's, uh, unfortunately heavy and painful menstrual periods are a very, very common issue that affects a lot of women. Um, again, it's something that just goes undiscussed by a lot of people. And unfortunately, um, you know, I think people who experience painful and heavy menstrual periods just come to believe that it's normal because they mm. usually have experienced them ever since they first had their first period. Um, so, you know, there are a lot of different treatment options for this, fortunately. Um, the standard of treatment is always to start with the least invasive options. Right. Um, so, you know, kind of starting with symptom management uh, with, you know, anti-inflammatory medications like Advil, naproxen, um, seeing if people can get benefit from that. But, you know, if that doesn't work, then you kind of go a step up and you start to look at some hormonal options. So things that suppress ovulation, uh, like the birth control pill, um, can actually be really helpful in reducing pain and the amount of flow from menstrual periods. Um, and another really good option that's kind of uh, become more popular recently is uh, a hormonal IUD. So things like mm. a Mirena IUD that mm -hmm. contain progesterone can be really helpful for a lot of women. Even um, a woman in even a woman in her forties that would be recommended. As long as you're premenopausal, yes, it, okay. um, it can definitely be helpful and a good alternative to try and avoid a major surgery like a hysterectomy. Right, right. So, would would you want to look for the cause of the painful periods? Are there is there always a cause, or it can just be painful for some without any major reason why? So, I mean, there are definitely people who just, you know, sort of inherently, for whatever reason, have heavier and more painful periods. Um, the thought is that it's linked to increased levels of prostaglandins, um, okay. which are essentially kind of the same mediators that cause pain and fever in our body. Some people okay. just naturally express higher levels of those when they have their period. Um, but there are also a lot of causes that need to be ruled out with investigations. So, you know, conditions like endometriosis, um, which some people might have heard of, um, are a very common cause of chronic painful periods. Mm -hmm. um, there are also structural things like you mentioned, uterine fibroids can be um, a cause of heavy periods. And there's also a less known uh, condition called adenomyosis, which is basically where the cells that should be on the inside of your uterus migrate into the muscle layer of the uterus. And those can also be mm. very uh, painful when you menstruate every month because you're essentially bleeding into that muscle layer of your uterus. So there is certainly right. a lot of different causes for periods. Um, but, you know, if you see a gynecologist, their job is to rule out these issues and kind of see if they can direct their treatment towards one specific cause. But unfortunately for some women, you know, nothing is found. All of their investigations are hmm. normal. Um, frustrating. So, yeah. yeah, exactly. It is very frustrating. Right. So the person writes back saying, I cannot have a hormonal IUD as I have a history of anxiety. I don't know the link between those two things. So I'm not, I'm not sure. And then goes on to say, besides being painful, I have fatigue for a week. I have a high 
uh, threshold of pain. Well, you're lucky you have a high threshold of pain. I have a very low threshold of pain. So for me, I, it would make me um, pass out. So I don't know if there's a, do you know the relationship between a hormonal IUD and anxiety? I've never heard that um, before. So there is, there hasn't been good evidence to establish a cause between um, hormones like estrogen and progesterone with mood changes, but it has been seen to be correlated potentially. So the thought is that um, progesterone, which is uh, one of the hormones that's, uh, it's one of the hormones that makes up the uh, oral contraceptive pill, the birth control pill, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. it is the only hormone that's in the Mirena IUD it can potentially be linked with mood changes. Um, So Ah, again, there isn't great evidence to establish a cause, but there is some thought that it could potentially be uh, linked to mood changes. Okay. So, I Uh, mean, I I love that you shared your story um, because uh, you're right. I mean, in people who um, aren't good candidates or who don't respond well to these more conservative management options, a hysterectomy can actually be a really life-changing surgery. It's just not, you know, the thing we always jump to first because it is a major surgery. There are lots of risks associated with it, but it can ultimately be the right option for some people. Yeah, and it's a it's a long recuperation. It's a three to five week recuperation easily. So especially if they if they have to cut you, I mean, there's different ways also of doing it. And actually, I would, if people are looking at that, I would recommend uh, Dr. Togus Tulandi wrote a book which I found invaluable when I was trying to make my decision uh, called uh, "So You're Having a Hysterectomy." So again, Togus T O G A S Tulandi who's a friend and, and just a, an amazing uh, physician. And he wrote this book for, for women, which answers all the questions because there's so many, I mean, we can go on and on because there are so many different types of hysterectomies or different different ways of, of doing it now. So there's that. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen this, but this woman says, I was in full menopause at 25. I don't know if that's a mistype or that's the fact, that's what she says. And I still get hot flashes. I just went outside to air out my feet, LOL. It's a lot less frequent now. I'm 50 now. Is that, that sounds rather rare to go through menopause at such a young age. Yeah, that that is extremely rare. Um, if you went into menopause at the age of 25, that would be what we called pr- uh, premature ovarian insufficiency. Ah. Basically, it's a fancy term for when um, your ovaries essentially start to become like a menopausal woman's ovaries and stop producing the normal levels of uh, estrogen and progesterone at okay. a premature age. So before the average person would be expected to go into menopause. Um, It's a very rare condition. Um, In some people, it can be associated with genetic uh, conditions like Turner Mm -hmm. syndrome, where you only have one X chromosome. Um, But, you know, in the majority of the population, uh, they shouldn't really experience this. But unfortunately, it's something that could happen to some women. Right. More of your questions answered by Dr. Angela Lee. We still have uh, more menopause questions to get through. That's our theme for the night, clearly. Passion with Dr. Lori Batito on CJAD 800.
It is the Vagina Dialogue tonight uh, in the final stretch of the show and answering your female sexual health questions so beautifully is Dr. Angela Lee, a resident in obstetrics and gynecology. So a couple of texts here to share. Hi, Lori. I suffered for years and finally had a hysterectomy because the fibroid blocked my kidneys. I am free. Yeah, I'd like to start a club, the the hysterectomy free club or something because it's a lot. I hear this from a lot of women, like not getting your period is the best, um, which is interesting because this person um, writes in, I truly, this from a man, I truly sympathize with women, monthly periods for 40 plus years, menopause, God bless them all. No male would ever be able to handle all that. <laughs> So I thought that was cute. Uh, probably, right? Could you imagine? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. <laughs> Although they have a better, I, I think they might have a better threshold for pain than than women do. I, I don't know. Maybe not because we go through all the, you know, we're able to go through childbirth and all that. Uh, yeah, another, they went through labor. So. <laughs> exactly. Uh, dear Dr. Lori, do not take Premarin. I was like 50 and had blood clots in lungs. I went to the Montreal General Hospital and they made me return five times. The tech had misread my x-rays. I had so much trouble breathing and imagine had to return in town because of incompetent medical staff. I would not want anything to happen to you if you take hormone replacement. Well, that's the risk, right? It's the uh, it's the blood clots um, in the lungs. So, and again, yeah. full yeah, just full disclosure. I did try uh, taking uh, hormones, and they did help. Like my my symptoms were bad, so I tried it, and then I had a scare where I had all the symptoms of a blood, like an, an embolism in the lungs, ended up in the hospital. And it wasn't that, but it was, it scared me enough silly that I said, you know, I don't have to worry about this. So I'm off those. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. The development yeah. of blood clots, um, you know, they start in your legs and they can travel to your lungs is definitely one of the risks of hormone therapy that um, patients should always be counseled on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Dr. Lurie, I'm 59 and I still have my period about four to five times a year. I've passed so many exams of all sorts, four biopsies and so on. They never find anything wrong. I just passed three exams before Christmas and haven't heard anything yet. My gynecologist says it's not normal. I never had hot flashes. I sure hope they never come because I'm always hot, but I've been like this since I was a kid. I guess it's just my menopause, but how long is this going to last? I haven't had one year without a period yet. So they wouldn't be in official menopause yet if, if they are still getting four or five in a year, right? Yeah, exactly. So officially, she wouldn't be considered to have um, entered menopause yet. Um, certainly rare to have reached the age of 59 without um, being in menopause yet, but it is possible. Um, like I said, everyone's different. Some people enter it a bit early. Some people enter it later. Um, so it's, I think, uh, you know, it's great that you're still continuing to get endometrial biopsies. Um, that's one of the most important things for women who are sort of past their menopausal age uh, with any sort of bleeding is to rule right. out an endometrial cancer, essentially. Um, so it's right. great that you're getting the biopsies. Um, and yeah, it sounds like your gynecologist is doing a good job of following it up. Right. And, and I have heard uh, numerous people tell me they're still, you know, not in menopause and they've, they're in their late, late fifties. So that's not unheard of, but like you said, it, it, it's something that you need to keep your eye on, uh, 
for sure, for sure. Uh, here's yeah. a question. What is the oldest age from a listener that a woman could give birth? I guess that would be different than that a woman could get pregnant, but I guess they go together. Um, what's the oldest uh, mom that you've that you've ever met? <laughs> So again, it's a tough question to answer because it completely depends on when you go into menopause. I mean, mm. officially, the only time when you can't really become pregnant anymore is when you're postmenopausal. So it depends on, you know, how old the oldest woman was, uh, you know, before she went into menopause, if she happened to get pregnant. Um, you know, personally, I think the oldest age I've seen is 50. Oh, um, wow. Okay. Is uh, very rare, but I think the oldest that I've personally seen is the age of 50. So this 59-year-old who wrote in, still getting her periods, might still be ovulating. Obviously, I, I guess she's still ovulating. Potentially, she could become pregnant. Yeah, Potentially. I mean, assuming that the episodes of bleeding that she's getting are ovulatory menstrual periods, yeah, oh, right, right. it's possible. Right. That makes, uh, that makes sense. Cause it may not be about the ovulation. Uh, texter writes an early menopause person here. Oh, this is the one who is 25. She says, I have a Y attached to one of my X's, I guess the chromosomes. I'm afraid of cancer. Should I get anything removed? IE ovaries. So, um, based on what you told me, it sounds like you have Klinefelter syndrome. Um, so Klinefelter syndrome is a genetically inherited, um, actually it's, it's kind of wrong to call it genetically inherited. It's an issue with when the cells divide. Um, so essentially when your, uh, father's sperm were dividing to make the, um, gametes that would create your embryo, instead of it being an isolated X or Y chromosome, the one sperm contain both an X and a Y chromosome. So when that joins with a mother's X, that creates an XXY chromosome, and that's what leads to Klinefelter syndrome. Um, so it's, that's a very unique and uh, rare genetic condition. Mm -hmm. And it is one of the things um, that I think, typically though, the people who have it are, genetically male and sort of physiologically look more so male, um, meaning that you wouldn't have ovaries. Usually you would have testes. So I'm not sure if that's actually the correct condition um, mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. you were talking about if you've ever, if you have, you know, a female phenotype. Right. Yeah. It's, uh, this is where we can often see intersex or things like that, uh, where you can have the external of one, uh, sex and the internal of another or, or some combination of both somehow. And often they, and which is why they discover it oftentimes when they can't get pregnant, right. Or, or something like that. Yeah. I mean, there are a variety of different conditions that can cause things like that, like androgen insensitivity syndrome, Mm -hmm. um, but with Klinefelter syndrome, it's, it's sort of typically a male phenotype, but with certain, um, when I, sorry, when I say phenotype, it means that the person looks male and mm -hmm. their reproductive anatomy looks male. Um, but there are certain differences in sort of their body makeup. Right. Or, or some, right. And sometimes ambiguous, yeah. sometimes not fully, uh, fully developed. So it's quite, it can be quite ambiguous. 
Uh, texter writes in, is there any research of how many men end up in therapy because of a, a severe mood-changing wife-girlfriend going through menopause? I'm not joking. I had a girlfriend who was impossible. <laughs> uh, well, as a therapist, I can't say that that is the reason why people in their uh, 50s or later age would seek out my services, um, you know, because of the wife's mood change. It's often far more complicated than that, I would say. Um, so uh, we have a, a, a Google guy here. He wrote this, uh, 74 is the oldest woman to give birth. She was 74 years old. Wow. I don't know where that wow. is, but that that's crazy. <laughs> And then uh, we can end on a joke here. Why? Do, this is somebody's submission. Why does it take three women with PMS to change a light bulb? The answer, it just does. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we get such a bad rap, right? When it, when it comes to that, like we get blamed for mood changes and being bitchy and all of this stuff due to our hormones. But you know what, guys, men, if you experience what we experience, there's reason to be like, you know, occasionally bitchy. Okay. 100%. Uh, right. Thank you. I, I'm, I'm <laughs> glad that you backed me up on, uh, on this one. Well, like uh, every month, thank you so much. There's been lots and lots of questions. Clearly we had a, a theme here and uh, it was menopause. It, it, we never know where the show's going to go, as you know, uh, Dr. Lee, right? We just take whatever comes our way, but it just so happened tonight's theme uh, was about menopause and, and that's great. And maybe next month it'll be something else, but whatever you, our listener, need help with, that's what we want to help you with. So uh, Dr. Lee will join us again in February and uh, we'll answer more of these medically related questions. You know, I can always answer your sex related questions, but it's nice to have a medical doctor on board with me to be able to give us the, uh, the lowdown. So Dr. Angela Lee, thank you so much. So much appreciate it. And happy new year, by the way. Thanks for having me again. All right. Take care now. Uh, that's it for us, folks. Thanks so much for all of your texts, your questions. Great, great questions tonight. Uh, thanks to our technical producer, Dave Simon. You can connect with me. Uh, best way is by email. Just go to my website, drlaurie.com, D-R-L-A-U-R-I-E.com. That's where you can uh, get in touch with me. And you can download podcasts of all the past shows as well if you've uh, missed any. Coming up next year on CJD, we bring you the CTV National News. Have a great rest of the evening. Stay safe and remember to live your life with passion.